0: Welcome back to another episode of the Addiction Audio Podcast. My name is Ben Sher, and I'm delighted to be here today with Associate Professor um, from the University of New South Wales, um, Rebecca McKettin. Welcome.
1: Thanks, Ben. It's lovely to be here today.
0: Um, so today, Rebecca will be speaking to us about her new paper, which has um, just been published in the Addiction Journal with a title called How Does a Family History of Psychosis Influence the risk of methamphetamine-related psychotic symptoms. Evidence from longitudinal panel data. So, just to start, what was the what was the aim of um, of this research? What did you and your team set out to find?
1: Well, Ben, what we were hoping to find out is whether having a family history of psychosis influences your risk of having methamphetamine-related psychotic symptoms. And the background to this is that. Amphetamine, it's a strong stimulant drug. And we know from history that in people who take it very heavily, like a run over a period of a few days, can experience a paranoid-type psychosis. So they have symptoms of feeling like people are out to get them or persecuting them, and they may have hallucinations and delusions. And this phenomenon is quite well documented. But anecdotally, a lot of people will say, you only get this if you're already mad to start with if I can put it really bluntly. And so the idea is that a lot of people are using this drug and they don't see themselves at risk for this phenomenon. But what we've seen in our previous research is that a lot of people who report these symptoms of paranoia, they actually have no family history of psychosis. So it begs the question, Is it actually the case that having a family history of psychosis, having a mother or a father or a grandfather or a grandparent or an aunt or a sister with schizophrenia or another major psychotic disorder, is that necessary? Do you need that predisposing risk in order to have methamphetamine-related psychosis? And what we wanted to do was test three different possible scenarios that in my mind were quite important to understand for public health. And the first is the idea that you have to have this predisposition. And that would be handy for people who use the drug who didn't have any vulnerability, because they could do so without any additional risk of this psychotic symptom phenomenon. And we could say, okay, let's focus all of our resources on the people with the risk, and then it would make it much easier to um, address the problem. The second possible scenario, which I actually believed was probably more likely, is that both the drug and the family history were jointly contributing to the risk. In other words, anybody who uses the drug might be at risk. Um, And having a family history is also a risk factor. So we might see the addition of those two things coming into play. The third possible scenario, which I think was the most likely, is that methamphetamine use will increase your risk of psychotic symptoms but more so if you have a vulnerability and that kind of is intuitively sensible you think yeah okay we're all at some risk but people with a family history might be at a particularly high risk and so those were the three different scenarios that we wanted to test with our data
0: okay fascinating and um just going back a step what is the current context in australia around um methamphetamine use and then um kind of presentations of these psychotic Episodes. Is it a big public health issue? Is this something that's very prevalent um, in society?
1: So methamphetamine is actually very prevalent and perhaps a lot more so in places like Australia and in Australasia and Asia than in the UK. Uh, we've also seen an increase in methamphetamine use in other parts of the world, including in mainland Europe. Uh, in Scandinavia, they've got quite a long history of use as well. Uh, We've seen an expansion of use to Africa, uh, the Middle East, uh, and in Central America. It's had a long-standing history in the US. So this is a drug which is quite prevalent. In fact, it's estimated that there are 7.4 million people worldwide who would have what we quaintly term a methamphetamine use disorder, so some form of problematic level of use. So it's actually quite a highly prevalent drug. It's also increased and changed in the way in which it's been used, and that's been associated with significant public health problems, one of which is methamphetamine psychosis. And that's been correlated with an increase in the use of high-purity methamphetamine or crystal methyl ice and this expansion to different regions of the world. I think that the psychosis that we see with methamphetamine use is typically transient, but it's probably the hallmark public health problem associated with methamphetamine use. It's something that we see much more with methamphetamine use. We tend not to see it with opioid use, for example. It's something that sets stimulant drugs, and particularly methamphetamine, apart from a lot of other drug problems. And it's particularly problematic in a public health sense because when people experience methamphetamine-related psychosis, while it might be short-lived, often can be quite intense and people get quite agitated. And when they front up at the uh, emergency mental health services, so the emergency department, or they get taken there by the police or the ambulance, they're quite unruly and difficult to manage. And they have quite a disproportionate impact on frontline services for this reason. There's also not a lot of effective treatments in that if you have a long-term psychotic disorder, you would get prescribed antipsychotic medication. With a short-term psychosis like this, which for the most part isn't there, it just comes and goes, people tend to end up in acute care services, really high burden, high intensive services for a short period of time. Once the psychotic symptoms have subsided, which might only take hours in some people and in other people a few days, they get released because they're no longer experiencing this paranoia, this paranoid psychosis. However, they don't go into drug treatment or get any other care. So they go back out, they use methamphetamine again because most of them at this who are experiencing these types of problems are using at quite high levels. Uh, and then they experience the psychosis again and they come back in. So there's a bit of a revolving door phenomenon, and it's quite frustrating for the people in the frontline services that they're dealing with this perpetual problem, which is very hard to manage. Uh, and there are a lot of systematic uh, treatments put in place to try and reduce or reduce the risk that these people have.
0: And you discussed the three scenarios that you were looking at. Um, how did you go about exploring these three scenarios? C- could you describe the methodology of this study?
1: Methodology that we used unfortunately became unusually complex about halfway through.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it's a study that I thought was going to be very simple to conduct. What we did was we used some data that we had to hand from a previous randomized control trial. And in that trial, we assessed psychotic symptoms, like short-term symptoms in the past week, comprising of paranoia and hallucinations. And we assess that every week throughout the trial. And we were also assessing methamphetamine use throughout the trial. And we assessed a whole lot of other things, including polysubstance use, because it was a clinical trial. And at the start, we took a family history, a self-reported family history of psychotic disorders. So we knew at the start, if people had a a family member, um, either a sister, brother, mother, father, auntie or uncle or grandparents, so extended family history who had schizophrenia or another primary psychotic disorder. We didn't include drug-induced psychosis. So what we did was in this whole sample, we looked at, you could say, the correlation between weeks when someone was using methamphetamine and when they had psychotic symptoms. And there's quite a clear relationship there. During the weeks when they're using it, they're at all, just over double the risk of having a psychotic symptom in that week. And then we looked at how that changed by whether or not someone had the family history. So you could imagine what we're doing is four different scenarios. We looked at those people who had no family history of psychosis, the people who should be less vulnerable, if you like. And then we looked at them when they weren't using methamphetamine. 12% of those weeks involved a psychotic symptom. Then we looked at those same people during weeks when they were using methamphetamine and 25% of those weeks involved psychotic symptoms. So it doubles. So there's a big risk. Even if you don't have a family history of psychosis, that risk is gonna go up when you use methamphetamine. If we looked at the people with the family history of psychosis, even when they weren't using methamphetamine, they actually were quite at high risk of having psychotic symptoms. So even when they weren't using the drug, 30% of those weeks, they had psychotic symptoms. So it's quite high. When they used methamphetamine, it went up as well for them. It went up to 43%. The relative increase was no different. But because they're at quite a high risk to start with, 30%, you double their risks and they're going up quite a lot more. So from that data, what we could say is that both methamphetamine and having a family history of psychosis are contributing, they're adding together to the risk of psychotic symptoms in this population.
0: And what is the significance of this finding?
1: Well, there's a couple of interesting points here. It dramatically increases the risk of the pool of people at risk of having psychotic symptoms. We can no longer say, if you don't have a family history of psychosis, you're gonna be fine. You're still at risk of having psychotic symptoms when you use methamphetamine. And I think that's a really critical finding for people out there who wanna use this drug. They need to understand that they're not gonna be immune to that risk. They may have that phenomenon. So that's one implication. I think the other really important implication is that people with a family history of psychosis, are at high risk of having methamphetamine-related symptoms. They're also at high risk of having psychotic symptoms even when they're not using the drug. It's a little hard to say why that's the case here, but what we can say is that they're at a very high risk of having psychotic symptoms. I mean, when they're on the drug, 43% of the weeks involve psychotic symptoms. So they're a smaller group, in this case, they were 18% of our sample, but they're the group who are most likely to have those symptoms. So we need to be really targeting those people to intervene around their psychosis because it's they're a really high risk group.
0: So that was actually gonna be my next question. Do you think there are any um, clinical implications from, from these findings in relation to treatment or in relation to prevention, just for healthcare providers more generally?
1: So the twofold implication is that we need to target methamphetamine use as a risk factor for psychosis, regardless of whether have, people have a history of psychosis in their family. The other one is that we need to be looking at people who do have a family history of psychosis as being a very high risk of having psychotic symptoms. And I think in that case, you probably want to be looking more toward interventions around psychosis. And we know from other research, not from our research, but from other research, that people with a family history of psychosis who have that vulnerability are at much higher risk of transitioning to schizophrenia. And the fact that we're seeing a high prevalence of psychotic symptoms in this little subgroup suggests to me that we need to be looking at them as a group that needs early intervention for psychosis.
0: Fascinating. And so this research was conducted... Um, the data was drawn from Melbourne and Geelong. Do you think that uh, these findings is ge- are generalizable to outside of Australia or to out- for outside of these cities? Do you think this research has important implications for, um, for settings around the world? Or do you think it's too early to tell?
1: The associations that we're finding with family history and psychosis and methamphetamine use are likely to generalise to other situations. However, there are important caveats. I think one of the very important caveats is we're looking at people here who don't have a primary psychotic disorder. Uh, They're not attending mental health services. They're a general population sample of people who use methamphetamine. If you go into a clinical service, you see a very different scenario. You're seeing people who are really high risk for psychosis who already have psychotic disorders, and the whole picture is likely to look very different. The other thing to be aware of is the people in our sample were seeking help to reduce their methamphetamine use. Most of them were using every day. They're injecting or smoking several times a day, very high levels of use. And so we don't we are very unlikely to see this very strong relationship between methamphetamine use and psychosis in recreational users who are using it once a month or even once a week.
0: And from what from what we knew previously, before this study. Um, Were the findings of this study surprising to you? Is this this something that you weren't expecting?
1: Yes and no. (laughs) It very much fits with what we've seen in other research and it explains what we've been seeing in other research. And there's a twofold picture that on the one hand, we see people who are out in the community using this drug and they tell you that when they use heavily, that they become paranoid and then they come down off the drug and then they're okay again. So it's a short-term transient psychosis. And that's, I think, what we're seeing with people who don't have that family history of psychosis. It's a, it's a pretty contained phenomenon, um, and they're generally at lower risk. The other thing that we see is in services, uh, clinical services, when you are dealing with high-risk people, is that you are seeing more prolonged symptoms of psychosis, symptoms that, of psychosis that persist well beyond methamphetamine use and it's really hard to know what's going on there, whether the drug use is caused to prolong psychosis or whether these people had a psychosis and then used methamphetamine, um, and maybe that made it worse. I think what we're seeing is both of those phenomenon added together here.
0: Great, and what is what is next for you in terms, of, in terms of your own research? What are you looking at after this?
1: For me, I think the next important step is uh, being able to provide an effective intervention to reduce the risk of psychosis amongst people who use this drug heavily. At the moment we have treatments uh, for people with chronic psychosis like schizophrenia. In this case, we're not usually talking about a chronic psychosis, we're talking about a recurrent transient psychosis, but that can become severe and people end up in hospital. The question is, what should we be doing clinically with these people? Would it be acceptable to be prescribing a low-dose antipsychotic or is that too high risk? Should we be pulling out the people who are at very high risk and provided some kind of targeted intervention on the assumption that they are at risk of going on to have schizophrenia? Is there a treatment that we can give people that would reduce the psychosis acutely, a little bit like we have interventions to reduce overdose? So for heroin we give people naloxone; it reverses the overdose, and that's mitigated a lot of the harms associated with opioid use. If we had an equivalent, res- if we had an equivalent medication or response that could bring someone down from an acute psychosis that was due to drug use, that would be gold.
0: They new directions for harm reduction.
1: Exactly. <laughs>
0: Great. Well, Dr. McKetton, thank you so much for joining us today. And for those who tuned in, you can find Dr. McKetton's paper at the Addiction Journal.
1: Thank you very much, Ben.